0: They used to call David Benefield Raptor, which is an apt name when you consider the mess he used to make of his opponents during the golden era of online poker. Today, there is no snarl, there's no blood. All we get is a very open young man talking about his route to the top of high-stakes poker. David, how's life? Pretty good. No pressure on us. Jason Kuhn said that uh, he's really looking forward to this one. (laughs) Okay. He told me that the first time he ever met you, He was shaking. Shaking? Yeah. Did he say anything else? (laughs) No. That's what he said. He said he was such a fanboy of yours back in the day that
1: um, uh, he was shaking. So, uh, what do you think about that? I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, he's a pretty intimidating guy. So, I think the first time we met was actually in a poker tournament in Vegas, like 10k, 6-max or something, seven years ago, eight years ago. Uh, and he was on my right and he was just playing like an absolute savage, 3-betting a ton, being hyper-aggressive. I was like, who the hell is this guy? Like, he seems, seems pretty tough. And we just sort of struck up conversation. He's just like a super genuine, really nice guy. Um, we kind of instantly became friends. So.
0: so him telling me that he was shaking when he met you, obviously he, he looked at you as some kind of superstar back then. Um, do you ever remember being a poker superstar? I mean, just to narrow the niche down a
1: little bit? Yeah, I mean, I I think Poker Superstar is a pretty big stretch, Um, but like, I had a blog that a lot of people read and I played reasonably high stakes for the time and I made some training videos and stuff like that Uh, and was very active in the community. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's nice that that he thinks I'm a superstar, but (laughs) I I don't think that's necessarily true.
0: When I was interviewing um, Tom Dwan the other day, I, I asked him this question that I'll, I'll ask you. But back in that time, was, was there moments where you was ever chasing the fame or thinking about fame, or did that just happen as a consequence of
1: your love of the game? Um, I think when I was, when I was young, I, I liked the idea of being famous. Uh, it just seemed really cool. It's like, oh yeah, I'll be on TV, and people know who I am. Uh, But like when people started to recognize me and like talk to me a lot, I was like, huh, it's kind of nice to just like be behind the scenes, too. Like you have a little bit more time to yourself and you can kind of do your own thing. Uh, But it was like it was a really cool process, just like it it sort of happened out of nowhere. Right. Like we're all just kids playing poker on the Internet or with our friends or just kind of going to the casino. And then like all of a sudden we're playing really big stakes for a whole lot of money. And then there's cameras around and then it's like, okay, this is this is a thing. We're doing it. Uh, and so it all just happens very quickly, and you don't really know or have a plan along the way. At least I didn't.
0: Well, I've got a nasty habit of thinking in kind of like polarized terms, and I, I know the world's grey, but uh, I'm, I'm, I was similar. So I, when I was younger, we all wanted to be millionaire. That's what we wanted to be. We wanted millionaire and be famous. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at what point can you remember a time in your life where there was a convergence where all of a sudden you were living the life that you thought you were, and. and And how did that differ
1: to, quote unquote, ordinary life? So probably, I think since I was 18, I mean, my life was not ordinary. Mm. Um, I dropped out of school, started playing poker. Um, But like when I started making a ton of money, my life didn't really change at all. Uh, I was still just staying at home, sitting in front of my computer and playing a lot of poker or traveling to these tournaments. Like I had a little bit more money, so I lived in a nicer house. I sat in a nicer chair. I drove a nicer car. But... On a day to day, my my life was pretty much the same. I think uh, I didn't I didn't really make any crazy outlandish purchases. I wasn't like flying private everywhere. I wasn't just like balling out in Ibiza or anything. Like I was just I was just kind of living, trying to play poker and get better. And yeah. Was, was
0: Was there a was there a disappointment there? Was did you get Was it like oh this isn't what it's supposed to be like? <laughs> or was it Or was it just a
1: smooth ride? The money came in, and just nothing changed. Things change, right? Like when when you don't have money, you kind of stress about not having money and you're like, shit, okay, like, I gotta, I gotta grind hard. I want to, like, make sure I can, I can set myself up. I don't have to, like, worry about it. And then the stresses kind of start to go away. Uh, and that's, I think the biggest change is probably, like, I just wasn't, I wasn't worried as much about, like, what I'm gonna have to do to secure my future. And you have a lot of freedom in that. Like, I didn't have to think about, well, one day I'm going to have to work for somebody or I'm going to have to get a job and I'm going to have to live someone else's vision for 40 hours a week. I got to take a lot of control over my life and that was very freeing.
0: In my late 30s, I, I joined um, the Landmark Forum. I don't know if you have the Landmark Forum in the U.S. Mm, tell me about it. it, it so it's, it's like a... Um, life coaching kind of seminar for a couple of days and there's different levels of it. So I went along to London and I did this thing and and they they were saying that every human being has three defining moments in their life that creates the personality that you ultimately become. So for me now I'm in my 40s. And uh, you have to think about those three moments and mine were one, age seven, uh, realizing my dad's not my dad and that I'm half Chinese. Uh, 10 moving countries from England to Wales and losing all my friends, and then three of 35 stopping drinking alcohol. Um, do you have any... What, what you, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but what would your three uh, defining moments of your life be, do you think?
1: Uh, so, kind of similar to you, um, I, I'm adopted, I, I don't know my birth parents, and so I never really had a... Um, I guess I didn't have like the, the blood bond or the, the similar, same type of family that I guess other people have or that they're used to. And so a large part of my identity, I felt like was on me to kind of define. And like, I had a very loving family. Um, I had a really great childhood and I like couldn't be happier with how all that turned out. But I, I still kind of always felt like I was a little bit on my own to find my own path. Uh, and so I think that that it wasn't an extra pressure, but it, it was a pressure I guess I put on myself to uh, just define success on my own terms and kind of figure out who I was. The other thing is probably just, I mean, where we are right now, uh, playing poker for the first time. Yeah. Uh, I was 16, just hanging out with friends, and we just watched Rounders. I was like, oh, this game looks pretty cool. Uh, so we're kind of sitting down playing. We're giving it a try. I noticed like, one of my friends is seems to be doing things a little bit better. He's kind of winning more consistently. Uh, He's folding a little bit more. He's betting more aggressively, and I'm like, oh, maybe there's something to this. And so I ordered a bunch of books and started trying to figure it out, um, and then started getting better very quickly. Really fell in love with the game. uh, Tried to find all the little card rooms around town to play in, and then when I was 18, started playing online. And uh, just was really, really lucky to be in a situation where I could... I didn't have a job, I wasn't too concerned about going to school, and so I could just spend a lot of time learning this game that I was really enjoying, uh, without any pressure to you know, earn an income per family or anything like that. So uh, I think there was kind of like, I was in a sweet spot in time, like around 2003, 2004, where I was able to devote the, the time and energy to poker, where I was able to get, get quite good at it, I think. Um, uh, a third thing, I'm not, I'm not really sure. It's, uh, not, it's
0: not come yet. Maybe, yeah. it's, maybe, yeah, it's not, yeah. maybe it's not maybe it's not arrived yet. TBD, how,
1: how old are
0: you now? I'm 32. Yeah, you got plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. I, when I was a kid, I was a right snoop. I was the, I was the kid who would go looking for my Christmas presents before Christmas, that type of kid. Mm-hmm. And once uh, I found a box with papers in and birth certificates, and I found adoption papers, and I remember just crying my eyes out because I thought my my family had lied to me and that um, that that. That I was adopted, and I later found out that it was my dad ad- adopted me. To be, is, and my mom was always my mom, you know. Mm-hmm. But I remember that that moment. I mean, how old was you when you when you found out that you was adopted, and, and how did that feel?
1: Yeah. Uh, so my parents told me from as long as I can remember. I mean, I'm sure I was like two or three years old, and they <laughs> were just like, "Hey, this is kind of how it works." And I probably didn't really understand it. Uh, and I think for a long time, adolescence, I was I was confused by it, and. I didn't really have any friends that were adopted, so I didn't really... Like, I felt like I was a little bit alone, mm-hmm. and I think I was angry about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just something that's always been with me, something I've always known about, and as I got older and started to understand it, like, I'm, I'm really grateful. Uh, like, I could have easily had a terrible childhood. I could have easily just not been born, and there are a lot of a lot of branches of that tree that uh, aren't aren't nearly as positive as the one that I happen to end up on. So, like, it, it's been a really... Uh, my perspective has shifted greatly uh, mm. over time, and now it's just something that I'm really grateful for.
0: Whenever I tell people my, that part of my story, the two questions is, one is, do you speak Chinese? That's the first thing they say, I'm like, no. And then the second thing they always ask is, have you ever tried to find your father? And, and for me personally, the, the, the thought of that just seems absurd because I, I, don't, I don't define it as my father. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, ever had any consideration of finding your real birth parents?
1: yeah so i think it's something that's always at the back of my mind like i'm always curious about where i come from and who these people are and do they look like me uh are their interests aligned um but it's also not like at this point in my life i don't really identify with that Mm -hmm. uh like that's not who i am that's not like and it's 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 something that if if I'm also self-conscious about it, right? Because I don't, I don't want to interfere in someone else's life. I'm sure, like, they probably have different families. They're with different people. Like, there's a, a, any number of things could be going on. And I don't want to impose myself into that life. It was a closed adoption. So I didn't... Uh, it, it was meant to be such that I don't know who they are. And I, like, it's really difficult to track them down. Yeah. And I, and I want to be respectful of that. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, I, I didn't want to hurt my dad's feelings as well. I kept thinking, if I, if I do this, my dad's going to think that I'm... I don't accept him or something, so I kind of, I just left it in the end, you know. It's, yeah. uh, but it, but it's, interest, um, it, it's interesting to talk about this because uh, uh, with somebody who reaches uh, success at the age of 18, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you had all the life figured out at 18, but you reach success, there's a danger there that you don't hit the hardships and the troubles and, the, and, and stuff that we need in order for us to grow into something much better. It's, it's, it's unusual to see somebody sailing through life And everything was so great and reached the pinnacle of success. Eric Seidel was talking about his dyslexia the other day. Jason was talking about his father. I think so far, only the Greenwoods have been like, yeah, life was fucking awesome. (laughs) Everything was great and I just got where I was. So it's interesting that you share that part of your story because I'm sure it has shaped you a lot, you know. Um, I'm going to pick up a piece of paper now because I'm not very good at uh, keeping quotes here. But I noticed you're into stoic philosophy. Mm. Um, So you had this uh, Epictetus quote, show me someone for whom success is less important than the manner in which it's achieved. Mm -hmm. And you retweeted it, and I was just curious as to why that particular one spoke to you.
1: Yeah, I think I really liked the general message of that, that uh, the result is less important than the process. Uh, uh, A lot of poker is... You make your decisions, you play your hands, and then all the money goes in, and all right, now it's up to randomness. And you can't control the result. Uh, in tournaments, you know, you cash 15% of the time. If you're really, really good, maybe you cash 20% of the time, right? And so you're failing a lot. And there's only so much you can do about that. Uh, and so it's really important to kind of separate yourself from the end result and really focus on your processes. Uh, so it's like, can I, did I make the right decision in this hand? How can I get better? And it's just, a, as a general philosophy, as a general practice, it, it's been really helpful for me to try to think about things in terms of, you know, how can I get better? How can I, how can I make these incremental improvements over time? How can I keep improving every single day? Instead of just like, you know, did I make money today? Or did I win this tournament?
0: Yeah, I think it's super important. I, I help people with addiction to alcohol and very often they're so desperate to get to the, the top of the mountain and, and to, to be sober. And it's like, oh, hang on a minute. You know, It's actually what we're doing today and what we're going to do tomorrow and the next day. That is where we get our fulfillment. That is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. That is where you'll see, you know, you'll feel these incremental changes. Sure. Um, wh- what is it about Stoic philosophy that, that really speaks to you? Because I saw quite a number of uh, Ryan Holiday's uh, uh, retweets from The Daily Stoic. So what is it that speaks to you? Uh,
1: I think I just... The, the general... Philosophies of Stoicism kind of speak to me. Like, um, Marcus Aurelius in his meditations talks about like three pillars of Stoicism uh, objective judgment, unselfish action, and willing acceptance of external events. And the, the, the general mindset that, like, hey, we can't control what's outside of us. All we control is what we do, how we think about things, how we approach life, and then the rest kind of just comes as it is. It's, it's just, it just makes sense to me. And I think in, in a poker context, it really makes sense as well. Um,
0: that very often we think that life is full of suffering, and pain and unbearable moments, but when we look back at them with the benefit of hindsight, we're like, what, what was I worrying about?
1: When things aren't going well, like you're playing poker, you're losing, you're taking it bad, you're suffering, you're like, this is miserable, I'm never gonna get through it, I'm never gonna get out of this downswing. Um, but then you, you keep playing, you get better, you keep working on your game, you're picking your spots, and, and you do get out of it. Uh, things do get better, you do continue to live. It's not the end of the world. Then you look back on it a year later, two years later, five years later, and you don't even remember it. You don't remember that downswing that during uh, when you were going through it, you, you were feeling so much pain, so much suffering. Uh, and so I think like being able to zoom out and, and put a little bit of perspective around those events helps you realize that, hey, when you're suffering the next time, it's like, okay, you're gonna get through it. It's not, it's, it's not the end of the world. Like, you're still living, you're still breathing, you're still healthy, you have friends around you, you have loved ones close. Uh, and like, zooming out and just kind of recognizing that like, hey, what you're going through, there's, there's bigger problems in the world, your suffering isn't like that big of a deal. Just like, get through it, live, get better.
0: I mean, it's, it's one thing to know and understand that on an intellectual basis, but it's completely, completely a different subject when, it, when you're in the heat of the, the moment. That, that part of you, that real competitive streak where it, like, you, know, you feel like bursting into tears or whatever when you've lost, it, how do you... I wouldn't uh, go that far. <laughs> oh, that's me. <laughs> and I just shared a bit of myself there. Um, but you say like it's a physical pain. I mm. mean... How do you view that? Do you view that
1: as an impediment? Do you view that as a strength, weakness? Is it a bit of both for me? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? So it's an impediment, I think, to to feel that suffering and to let it hurt so bad. Um, Cause it's just like, it's, it doesn't, doesn't seem good to me, but like it's also a driving force, right? Like I don't want to feel that pain ever again. And so maybe like people that don't feel that pain don't have such a desire to not feel it again in the future. And so they have less incentive to work hard to improve. Um, but like that, I think a lot of people that just really, really hate to lose tend to get quite good at things um, because they just never want to feel that way. And so they they constantly get better, they constantly work. And I think think Jason's kind of similar. Like he really hates to lose, super competitive guy. And like that's, I think that's really important for success in something like poker as well. Just like the the constant desire to get better. And for me, a lot of it is just uh, pain avoidance. Like I don't want to suffer in loss and so I'm gonna work really hard to win.
0: I like that. I like that. And, and, and sticking with stoic philosophy, you know, it's very much about focusing on things in the moment and kind of like not drifting away into the future and drifting away into the back. Uh, when it comes to purpose and the question of, you know, what we're doing with our life, I know that's very fluid, but what are you focusing on
1: right now in your life? Um, well for the last few months I've been focusing a lot on poker. Uh, I found Short Deck and sort of became fascinated with the game. Uh, I haven't learned a new poker game in years and so it's been really fun just kind of like learning how this new game works and playing a lot and then just, trying to, just trying to understand it and get better at it. So, uh, I'm traveling a little bit uh, to play some of these poker tournaments, the Triton events, um, playing a little bit online and just... Trying to be around uh, people in the poker sh- poker world once again, and it's been just like a really really fun process, kind of getting back into it and like coming out and seeing all the old faces and just getting back in the mix. Because
0: I, I, I read that the your appearance at the PSPC in January was like your first tournament in a in a year and a half, right?
1: I wasn't really planning on going to the PSPC. Uh, I th- Jason actually talked me into it. He's like, "Hey, they're adding a bunch of money to the prize pool. Like, it's easy flight from." T-. I was like, "All right, all right, I'll go down there. and I'll play it." Like, I hadn't played a no-limit tournament in a long time. I hadn't spent that much time working on my game, but I was like, "Ah, go to the Bahamas, be fun, play this tournament." Um, and it kind of like reignited me a little bit. Like, it, it was it was quite fun. Like, I got a min cash, so I didn't really make that much money, but it was it was it was fun sitting at the table and just kind of like bantering with the guys again and, and just getting back in there. Uh, yeah. So when, when I read that,
0: and I'd and I seen that you hadn't played a tournament for a year and a half, obviously it doesn't mention if you were playing cash games or not, but uh, the first thing that came up to me is, well, what's he been doing then? You know, what, what do people do with their, with their time? So yeah. like, um, outside of poker, is there, any, is there a driving force there? That, you know, is there something in life that you, that you can see at the periphery that you want to get to?
1: I wouldn't say right now I have any like very clear goals or ambitions. Um, one thing that I that I'm spending a lot of time thinking about is really improving my processes, just like how I how I live my life and how I go about things on a day-to-day basis. And uh, one thing that I find that I'm, I'm much happier at the end of the day when I do, is like, did I get better at something? Like, it doesn't really matter what it is. Like, I I play a lot of basketball, and I really enjoy it, it's a lot of fun. Um, But I don't just, like, show up and shoot around and go through the motions. Like, I'm actively thinking about how to improve as a player. Um, Or like, if I'm, uh, like, I I started kind of trying to teach myself how to play the piano a while back, and I didn't really know what I was doing, and watched a bunch of YouTube videos, and, uh, you know, you can play, like, two notes at a time, and then you can play four notes, and then you string it together, and you do that over and over and over and over, and all of a sudden you're playing music. It's kind of an incredible thing. Uh, and so just, like, learning new things, picking up hobbies, uh, and just, like, the the kind of mindset of constant improvement and, and finding things that I enjoy doing and just getting better at is something that actually makes me really happy. And so I've been doing a lot of... Uh, kind of just, like, living and enjoying. Uh, yeah. I um,
0: I like to ask people about values a lot, but... I find it's easier to ask them like, like a, a more paradoxical question on values rather than just say, what are the values that drives you in life? So I'll, I'll turn it around a little bit and, and, and ask you, what
1: what pisses you off about people? <laughs> um, that's a really interesting question. I think um, over the last few years, I've, I've been spending a lot of time like really trying to not be pissed off about stuff, to just like, uh, embrace some of those tenets of stoicism that it's like, hey, you know, I can't control this other person. I, I can't control what they do, what they say, what they think. And so, like, I need to not let that bother me. Um, but it's like, you know, I'm human. I'm not immune to that. Uh, I, I think w- one thing that's kind of happening and it seems to be happening, at least in modern American society, is is this, like this polarization of ideas. Uh, I feel like we're losing... Uh, we're losing the middle ground. We're losing nuance. And so everything's kind of becoming black or white. Like, are you Democrat? or are you Republican? Like, we have to identify with one camp or the other. It's mm. like, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm a, I'm a human. I feel like I can change my mind. I don't have to be in one camp or the other. Like, it's, you know, I can I can think one thing, and then somebody can present a good argument for something else, and I can change, change my mind. I think it's really important to be able to do that. And I feel like in the modern discourse, it's... We're less forgiving of people who, uh, who change their mind or change their attitude or like, embrace objectivity and, and, and try to learn and get better. It's like you have to be in this one camp or the other. It's really frustrating to see that happening.
0: Yeah, I see that in poker sometimes as well. It's like if somebody steps out of the line uh, particularly in the social media world it 's like okay this this guy 's a devil now, or this woman 's a devil and it 's kind of it 's kind of like well, actually there's some good parts about this person, and there's some bad parts about this person, and we can you know we don 't have to discard everything because I guess it with that approach, you lose the ability to learn right
1: yeah, I think if you if you really identify with one idea or another it 's going to be tough to be open minded and consider the other person's point of view. It's going to be tough to be empathetic and try to be understanding of, of someone else's perspective. And it's, it's definitely you're closing yourself off to, to learning and doing that, I think.
0: Is there a fear there as well, though? So let's, let's take Donald Trump, for example, right? You know, he's a very polarizing figure at the mm-hmm. moment. When I think about Donald Trump, I think to myself, wow, how did this guy get to be the most powerful man in the world? And what can we learn from the fact that he got there? Mm-hmm. But then if I air those kind of thoughts in public, which I just have, then you, you get attacked for being a Donald Trump supporter or, or whatever. So it kind of, it kind of, there's a block there unless you're a certain kind of personality. You think to yourself, this is not really worth the time and effort I'm going to get put in to get slandered. Where do you sit on that? Are you, are you comfortable with voicing your opinion? Or do you
1: sometimes think to yourself, I don't think this is going to be worth the backlash? Yeah, I think maybe I'm a little bit selective with how I pick my spots in voicing my opinion. Like, I'm not just going to go on Twitter and and start, you know, devils advocating a bunch of ideas that I don't necessarily agree with to try to engage in a discussion because I fear that backlash. Like, mm-hmm. it, it is real. Um, but I, I am having conversations with friends who, who, who do have uh, the ability to have nuance and hold a couple different ideas in their minds simultaneously without... Uh, identifying with one or the other and it's like yeah Donald Trump is a really interesting person I think like I think he's a maniac uh, in a lot (laughs) of ways Um, but but he's also our president like he won an election and so you know however many 20 million people however many people that voted for him like you know they made that choice and I think it's important to recognize that like hey those people are living in our country as well and they, they have this opinion and I think it's it's useful to understand why they have this opinion. What does that say about where we're at in our political climate? What does that say about how people think about trade or immigration or whatever? Like, these are people that we have to live with. These are people that we have to see every day. Uh, and so to just discount them and be like, oh, these guys are idiots. Like, oh, they're all racist morons. It's like, no, I don't think that's the case. Um, but it's like, it's much easier, uh, I think, for a lot of people to just say that and then not have to think critically about the situation. Um, but I do, I do think that's a problem. I think it's really important to be able to like understand uh, why people are making these choices and why they think what they think. It's
0: really, it's really interesting what you just said. Then you made, you made me realize that I, I'm, I was talking about social media, and okay. then, and then you can, and then you come around, and you turned around and said, yeah, I to my fr- I talk to my friends, like in real life, I talk to people about these things, mm. and it made me think, wow, how different the world is these days. That we actually can exist just in a plane of social media conversations, and not physical conversations. You know, how, how important are those flesh and blood relationships to you?
1: Yeah, and I think, I think that's another really important thing. Like, so much gets lost in discourse when you're just like communicating via text. Mm. Like, it, it, you, you lose so much, like, uh, I was talking to my girlfriend the other day, uh, not the other day, but it was a while ago, and she was, uh, I was communicating with just like a, um, like a dog walker and she was like, hey, you're kind of coming across like an asshole. And I was like, it was just like a text text, message communication or whatever. And I was like, oh. And I didn't even really think much of it, but it's like, I wasn't, you know, I didn't like emote with a smiley face or like put an exclamation point or Mm -hmm. something. And so it's like, it's very terse. Like it's very kind of straightforward communication and that like, it comes across as kind of like, kind of rude. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting point. And then you kind of see that on Twitter or other social media or Facebook or whatever. And it's like, you, you, you lose so much nuance. Mm. Uh, you lose the ability to kind of like, to, to just see the human on the other side. And so you're, you're just communicating with this like, uh, like it's almost, it's almost robotic. Uh, it's just kind of like, I can't think of a good way to express this, but like, I think that the human element is really important. And I think when, much of our dialogue and communication takes place uh, over text over twitter or whatever like it's really tough to empathize it's tough to to want to understand the other person's perspective we lose something there when you sit down across from someone it's like oh wow this person's actually like this is a real human they have like their own thoughts their own fears their own beliefs and it's like it's much easier i think to make progress uh, as like, you know, in, in terms of ideals, or like understanding the other side, if you can actually sit across from a person and actually communicate with them.
0: I, I think p- pace is, is important as well, you know, because I'll ask you what your pace of life is like, because like, you know, I was in Starbucks yesterday, I think it was, and Dan Smith was there on his own. What a wonderful opportunity to go and speak to like a super talented, in, in, intelligent man, you know. And I just said hi, and had some cursory conversation, then went back to do what I was doing on my laptop because I felt I needed to keep moving and keep, and get I, things I need to do and keep going. I don't have time to sit down and have a, a conversation with someone. Um, what's your pace like when it comes to that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. I think I'm, I'm pretty similar to you in that way. Um, just kind of like the casual stop and chats or whatever, uh, especially on a, on a poker trip, like you're focused on, uh, you know, you have to be at this tournament in 45 minutes. You have to, like, you're going to be in this high-stress, high-dollar high, stress, high, high dollar situation. Uh, it's tough to kind of, like, step back from that and just engage with another human just at the at the Starbucks or whatever. So I'll, I'll have my headphones in. I'll be listening to a podcast, mm. or I'll be, like, you know, listening to some type of, uh, like, rainfall music so I can just, like, really concentrate and think about, like, what I'm going to do that day. And, and so I, I definitely... Turn inward a little bit and disengage from the world around me and the people that are invo- that are just kind of in, in my immediate sphere. Uh, and I think it's it's probably not great. I think uh, yeah, as as an overall happiness thing, I think it's detrimental. Um, but at the same time, like when you're when you're trying to optimize every element of your life for high performance, uh, I don't think you necessarily get to to have those. Human interactions as much like they can be distracting, they can be disruptive, and so it's like you're constantly walking this fine line between optimizing for success in whatever area you're in, um, whether it's like poker, or journalism, or whatever you're trying to do, uh, but then also be human and like engage with the people around you.
0: It's that dreaded word balance. So it always reminds me. Yeah. But in the UK, we have uh, darts. So Philip Howard Taylor is like the most famous dart player i have ever had, beat used to beat everybody. And I remember seeing an interview and they were talking about balance and he said, I never saw my family, I never saw my kids and that was a sacrifice I had to make in order to get where I am today. Mm. And sometimes when people talk to me about the word family balance, you know, and, oh yeah, I need to get a better balance. I'm like, no, actually balance doesn't work like that. I need to do everything I can in my power to, to apply this. And then I might have time to be able to look at my life or whatever. What, what do you think about balance being as you got to such a high level in poker, for example?
1: I think it's, I'm not trying to say like I'm the best in the world at anything, but I think to, to become among the best at something, you don't really get to have balance. Like mm. you kind of have to go all in on it. It has to be your primary focus. Like in the early days of poker, I, all I did is play poker, talk about poker, think about poker. And there wasn't, I didn't give myself the opportunity to just kind of like live and enjoy life. So, you know, for five or six years, all I did is poker. And I think that's kind of necessary. Like, I, don't, I don't know very many people that were like, oh yeah, I was kind of like doing this other stuff. I was going to school, playing a little bit on the side. And like, they're super successful. Like, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Like it, you're, you're, there's so many people in this world and there's so many people that are working really, really hard to get really, really good at something. And if you want to compete with that, you have to do the same. Uh, like now like the guys that are playing poker they're so good Mm. like everyone's so tough there's so many resources out there that are available uh to get better and if you're not using them you're kind of falling behind and it's like from a balanced perspective yeah you probably don't get it but like if you want to compete at the highest levels that's that's the trade-off you have to make i think
0: so let's say that um you've you've Opened up your Hogwarts for uh, talented, high-stakes poker players. We just said that a laser-like focus and almost like a selfishness of your time and an intent focus on poker is one of the things that you need to get to the top. What are, what are some of the other things,
1: uh, traits, or um, things that we need to do to get there? Do you think? Um, I think I think there are a couple things that are really important for uh, being successful in poker now. Like one is just like a really keen understanding of game theory. Um, there are a lot of like, a lot of tools available to help with that, uh, resources for learning Texas Hold'em, whatever. Uh, and I think it's important to study those and understand how, um, how like a perfect robot is gonna think about solving certain poker situations. Like it, it is a game of incomplete information, but you can model that incomplete information and try to make better decisions. And so it's, it's I think it's useful to have some sort of foundation in that. Uh, and then start to deviate from it when you see your opponents making mistakes. Like, you see somebody who's just bluffing every single river, and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to call more often, right? Uh, You see somebody who's just, like, super tight, never putting money in the pods. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to make sure I have a good hand when I play against him. Um, And so, like, sort of the psychological elements are really important as well, like understanding what your opponent's thinking, why they're doing what they're doing, and kind of getting into their head. Um, Maybe some of the just, like, basic mannerisms and live tell stuff, like you can, you can read into that, but I don't think those things are as necessary. So I think like, uh, yeah, having some, some strong fundamental understanding of the game of poker and then also like the psychological elements are the most important.
0: When I, uh, I've been married twice, and um, so I'm getting better at it. Okay. Uh, if, I, if I get a third one, I'll be a fucking good husband. <laughs> uh, and I remember when the first marriage was breaking up, we went to see a marriage guidance counselor. And I was terrified at the time because I thought my, my relationship was falling apart. But actually when I left it, I, I thought I, I, can't, I kind of enjoyed that. Like being able to like offload and, 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 and that kind of stuff. And I started to realize that for me, uh, psychotherapy was more of a, a therapeutic learning tool rather than something to go to when disaster strikes. Uh, have you ever been there? Have you ever considered psychotherapy? And if so, what are some of the things you'd like to learn about yourself through that process?
1: So growing up, I think I was like a little bit depressed. I was just kind of an unhappy, angsty kid. Uh, I didn't really feel like I fit in anywhere in the world necessarily. Like I didn't, I, I had a lot of friends. I played a lot of sports. And so I always had people around that I that I enjoyed being around, but I kind of always felt a little bit different I think I was kind of sad about that. Maybe it was related to being adopted, You know, maybe just general teenage angst or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so I've done a ton of psychotherapy over the years. For the last two and a half years or so, uh, I started doing psychotherapy again. Uh, I go twice a week um, and I, I found somebody that I work really well with. Uh, I met him when I was at school in New York and uh, we do our sessions on Skype now uh, for like 45 minutes at a time. And it's really nice to just have an objective third party who can kind of hear about what's going on in your life, what you're struggling with, and then perhaps offer some insights, kind of probe you to get a little bit more understanding. And a lot of it is just like you talking about what's going on in your life and you finding your own way to like a better understanding of that situation. And that's like a really powerful thing. And it's not something that uh, you can necessarily do with like your friends or your girlfriend or a parent or something like that. And it, it's. It's nice, for me, it's really powerful to have like, a place where I can be vulnerable and I don't have to fear like judgment from my peers or judgment from my parents or my significant other or whatever, um, and also someone who like, kind of understands how the brain works and understands like, how humans are and can, and, and can guide you in, in directions and help you find a better way to process your emotions and your thoughts.
0: Are, are you talking about their um, sitting down with somebody Airing something that's bothering you, and by the time you finished airing it, you figured out you fig you figured out where you're going wrong and what you need to put right. And the, the person hasn't even said anything. Their role is to, just to be present for you.
1: Yeah, I think that's part of it. Sometimes, sometimes that's what it is. Uh, other times, it's just like uh, for me, it's just like talking about my day. And it's mm. like, well, what did I what did I struggle with, or like, what was I what was I thinking about, or how did I have this interaction, or like, it felt a little awkward. Why, like, and, and just. Just being able to kind of bounce ideas off of someone uh, and just, I don't know, I, I guess everybody's situation is going to be different, and everyone's experience with psychotherapy is going to be different. Um, you know, I, I probably have done, I don't know, hundreds of sessions, and I've been with 15 or 20 different psychotherapists, and I've only found one that I actually felt comfortable with communicating. Uh, and so I think a lot of people maybe will try it, and they'll have a couple sessions and be like, yeah, this isn't for me. Um, But if you can find somebody who who you can actually be vulnerable with I think you can make some really good progress in understanding yourself
0: Yeah, I I think it's super important. I've spent the last couple of days here in Jeju chasing people asking them for interviews and when they say no I'm I'm then saying to myself, oh You know, don't don't they like me? Am I doing something wrong? Is my approach not right, etc, etc and I talk to people about that and they'll say oh you're overthinking things um, but I don't. I don't want to go back to a place where I wasn't thinking about these things. For mm. me, for me, constantly thinking and questioning what's going on, as long as it's healthy, is like, is is super important. Uh, and it sounds like you you've got that trait in yourself. Where did that come from? That's a really
1: a question. Uh, I'm not sure. I think probably my parents. Uh, that seems like the most likely uh, explanation. I mean, for in psychotherapy, that seems to be where most of our issues come from, uh, good and bad. Uh, but just like the the constant desire to improve, uh, I think has just always been with me. I mean, even when I was a kid playing sports or whatever, like I just I just wanted to get better. Mm. Uh, I wanted to be better, and that sort of carried over into pretty much everything I did in life. Like whether it's playing a game, like playing chess growing up, or playing video games or whatever, like I just I just wanted to compete. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to have the highest score on the board, um, and, and just kind of that innate competitiveness, maybe. Uh, was in there from the beginning and then just kind of extrapolating that into just living my life. It's like, okay, well, I want to be a better person and that's really important too. Maybe there's no uh, objective measurements of success in being a good person, but like I can, I can definitely be better. I can think about how to improve my interactions with other people. I can think about the things that I say. Can I say them in a different way to have a, have a better impact? Uh, it's just, it, yeah, it's, it's a useful mindset, I think.
0: And I'm going to drag the interview right down into the gutter now (laughs) (laughs) by by asking you, I mean, you're only in your mid-30s now, but do do you spend any time thinking about death? And if so, how does that guide some of the choices that you
1: think about in terms of what you need to do, uh, stuff like that? Uh, Okay, that's quite a change. I don't think about death a whole lot to be honest uh i think i used to and i used to like just be very afraid of it um i don't i don't really believe in an afterlife and so i think this is the life that i'm living right now is is kind of all i get and i want to i want to do the best i can with that um and so i yeah i don't i don't think i'm i'm afraid of death i don't think it's uh just something that's like constantly looming over me, um, but at the same time, I think like with with the thought that there isn't something for me after death, I think it allows me to maybe appreciate the process of life a little bit more, and i don't I don't feel like I'm looking forward to something in the end like'm this is it, this is what I'm doing right now, and i'm going to try to make the make the most of it, I guess. So, with making the
0: most of this one life that we've got, what are some of the ambitions that you uh, you would like to fulfill before the lights go out?
1: And this is a really big question, and I think this is something that uh, my answer is going to change every year, um, maybe even moment to moment. Uh, I, I don't, I don't really think I have any like, overarching ambitions like win the World Series main event. It's like I can't really control that. Uh, and so I spend a lot of time just focusing on uh, just the day-to-day moments and just like my interactions with friends and loved ones and just like constantly improving those interactions and trying to build uh, a group around me and a community that, that I, I genuinely enjoy being around that like I, I feel happy with and feels happy with me that I can trust and I can rely on. Um, and so yeah, I guess, I guess my biggest ambition is to be at a point in life where I'm just surrounded by people that I love and care about and who love and care about me Um, to like build a strong, healthy, happy family. I think about education a lot. Like I, I, my educational experience growing up, I didn't think was particularly good. I went to a good school. Uh, I was surrounded by really smart people, but I, I didn't feel like I was learning that much. I wasn't, I wasn't intellectually curious. I think that kind of got beaten out of me by the system a little bit when they're like, hey, learn this for, you know, memorize this. And it's like, ah, I don't really want to. Like, why? I don't see why. And so I didn't feel like I had a ton of flexibility to kind of pursue things I'm interested in. Uh, and So maybe like something that, it's not necessarily an ambition, but something that I'd like to do when I have a little bit more free time, maybe a little bit more money, is like start a school or something and try mm-hmm. to like, get more involved in the educational process and like when i have kids i think that's something that's going to be really important to me like like cultivating their educational experience so it's a little bit a little bit different than mine and i I want to be able to inspire them to kind of learn and be creative and and pursue things they're interested in rather than just like hey you have to do this you have to jump through these hoops you can get a job and you can you know work for somebody and then you're 60 and then you're retired and then you die like that that's not the path that works for me and I, i think it's kind of the path that Uh, At least in America, the modern educational system kind of like points you towards. And I don't know, I like to spend more time thinking about that kind of thing. It's quite interesting. The UK is just the
0: same. Mm. And and what will bring it to a head is probably when you you have a child and you start thinking about, okay, I need to make a decision about where my child's going to get her education from. And then they'll be like, fuck, we need to do something about this because I don't like options A, B, C, D, and E. Right. You know, Um, I think you'll be a good dad. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, just finishing off. How does poker make you feel?
1: Uh, poker makes me feel really good. Um, it's given me so much freedom. Uh, like, if I, I I can't even imagine what I'd do if I didn't if I hadn't found poker when I was eighteen, right? Like, I probably would have just gone to college, taken like finance and accounting or something, and just been this like miserable middle-aged fat accountant, just like going <laughs> through life. Like, I, I don't know. Um, but it's like. It, Because of poker, I'm able to sort of pursue my interests whenever I want. I'm able to live life on my own terms. Uh, And that's like a really powerful thing, and I'm super happy about
0: it. Uh, And just for the record, when you said about the middle-aged fat accountant Chris Moneymaker, he he wasn't talking about you. I just want (laughs) to clear that up and clarify. (laughs) Thank you. Sorry, Chris. (laughs) David, thanks very much for being our guest on uh, I Am High Stakes Poker. really appreciate our time.
1: My name is David Benefield. I am high stakes poker.